0: This is the Out-of-State Hunter Podcast, the hunting resource for non-resident hunters. And I'm your host, Chad Riker. Today, we are talking about the great state of Indiana. But first, a quick word from the sponsors in 90 seconds or less. So first up, Altera Arms, which is a custom rifle manufacturer. Altera has multiple rifle models to choose from depending on your needs. Personally, I chose the Altera Carbon because I was looking for a lightweight, shorter carbon barrel in a 300 PRC and the Altera Carbon met everything I wanted plus added the sub .5 MOA guarantee with factory ammo and many other features that come along with the Altera name. What sets them apart from the rest? is that they use proprietary parts that are built in their Idaho shop. They don't just buy random components and then throw them together as a rifle and then ship it out. They build the stocks and even the actions in-house, creating a system and not just a rifle. Check them out at alteraarms.com. Kodiak Canvas Tents... Kodiak Canvas tents are absolutely amazing. They have several models to choose from. Everything from a one-person bivvy-style tent to multiple-person cabin tents with stoves. They can outfit you for any adventure you have planned. Personally, I use the Flexbow 10x14 tent, which is great for weekend camping with the family or setting up an elk or a deer camp with your buddies. I use the Flexbow on almost every outing I go on. It's easy enough to set up solo in about five to 10 minutes and has lots of room to be comfortable for one night or multiple nights in the wilderness. I'm sure Kodiak Canvas has a tent to meet your needs. Take a look at KodiakCanvas.com. Welcome back to Out of State Hunter podcast. So today we are on our Eastern adventure. This is the first state for the Eastern states that I have on. And I'm really, really excited. This is the state of Indiana, my home state. So that, this is super, super exciting. Um, I have Cindy Stites on from Indiana DNR. And oddly enough, if you listen to the last podcast, you you know that um, it was. I said what a shock it was when I was introduced to Cindy because we both went to high school together and we've been... We've been talking for about 20 minutes, I think, before the show started about the good old days from, from back at high school. But anyway, I've got Cindy on here, and I think we have a really great show planned. She put together a lot of information from Indiana to help non-resident hunters. Um, with all of that being said, Cindy, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Tell us a little bit about your background in, in hunting and and how you landed at the Indiana DNR.
1: Thanks, Chad. I appreciate the invite and Appreciate being able to catch up with an old old Crawfordsville native.
0: Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) man. Oh, boy, the good old days.
1: I know. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm the um, Wildlife Recreation Program Manager with the Department of Natural Resources for Indiana's Division of Fish and Wildlife. And really, that's kind of a fancy name for the R3 coordinator for the state of Indiana. So I started this position uh, last May. So I've been on board for just a little over a year. And we're getting ready to kind of dive into some restructuring and reorganization of our R3 program in the state. So we're getting ready to do some planning with DJ Case, who's nationally known in the R3 uh, circle for planning and strategic uh, moves to get R3 programs up and running and headed in the right direction. So you know, really I've been hunting. This'll be, I'm going into my 11th year of of being a hunter. I started hunting when I was 36. So it's not something I've done lifelong, but I I fished when I was a kid. Hunting was just not something that, you know, was ever introduced to me until I was in my thirties. So I'm, I've kind of went down the rabbit hole and hunting now is just about all I think about and all I want to do. And that's kind of nice that I ended up in a position like this. So I can, I can do it for a job.
0: Yeah. I get paid to do what you love. That's perfect. Sure. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. And we, we had some really good conversation before we started. So Cindy's not just Indiana stuck in Indiana and, and hunts only in Indiana, man, she, she hunts all over and all over the West and, uh, over, uh, you said 11 years, it sounds like you've seasoned yourself pretty good out there. So, um, Good. Yo, yeah. I think you're going to be a great resource to talk to today.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. I've hunted a lot of states out West and a few in the South and it's been neat and kind of cool to see how other states work and now working for the state in Indiana, it's really interesting to be behind the scenes because it's just, I can compare a lot of the different states and how they work and there's, it's, it's interesting.
0: It's very interesting. So from where I'm sitting, and being able to to sit and talk with or interview people from every state's game agency, whatever it's called, they're all different. Every state is so much so different in every way. And I don't think to this point, this is probably my 13th or 14th state. I don't think I've come across any two states that are the same. They're, every state is that much different. So Um, it's, it's cool to hear about all of them, but it's also a little bit frustrating to, to just think, man, these guys are, everything is just so far different, but that's why we're here, right? We're going to discuss all these non-resident opportunities for Indiana, and then we'll have all of that information for, for the state. So, um, the first thing I think we'll touch on is, is there, is there any new stuff in the regulation that people need to be aware of for like major changes for 2023?
1: There's not anything significant. Um, Last year for 2022, we had a price increase for all of our licenses. Um, It was it was overdue. Um, We thought you know there might be a little bit of pushback for that, but it had been early 2000s since we'd had any kind of license increase, and we were really kind of the bargain state of the Midwest. So it was a little startling to to you know for a lot of people when those prices went up, but we actually ended up. Uh, increasing our hunting license sales last year. So as much as it was kind of a shock to people, it didn't deter anyone from going ahead and getting their licenses. So that was good. Um, but, you know, with hunting numbers going down and um, you got to have that revenue to get your, uh, to get the license revenue, to have your match for your federal grant pro- process. So mm-hmm. those, those license sales are important and that funding super important. So it all worked out, but Really, for this year, there's not anything significant that's new. Um, the special antlerless season, which we can talk about here in a minute, it's it is closed this year, like it was last year. So that's not not incredibly new. We do have there's a, a few counties in our state this year that uh, do not have a bonus uh, antlerless quota, which we can also kind of touch on. But there was a pretty significant case of EHD last year. Uh in several counties down in the southeast part of the state. And those counties are still shut off for bonus uh antlerless deer this mm. year. So that would be okay. the only really big news, I think, for people that you know like to make sure they know where those extra deer are at, but those counties are still closed.
0: Okay. Um where is let's let's talk about this really quick. If somebody was looking for those closed areas, what's the best resource if they're it, they're used to going into those southern counties and hunting a certain area, where would they go to find out what's closed and what's open?
1: So our new hunting guide will be out um it'll be out probably the first part of August. Uh we just finished editing that and it's I think it's going to the printers here pretty soon. But there's a map, there will be a map online. You can go to our website and find that map. And then there will also be a map in the hunting guides, the new regs that come out that show the entire state and it'll show the quota for each county. And it's color coded and they'll, they'll definitely be able to tell those counties down in the southeast part of the state that are white that do not have a number in them. I think they okay. either have a, don't have a number at all or they have a zero. Okay. So it'll be super Perfect. easy to find once the regs come out. The gotcha. map's pretty easy to read.
0: Okay, Perfect. Um. So on here, I have important reminders, and that's things that I usually look for that are, are things that people need to remember. For the Western states, I've always asked, you know, is there mandatory reporting before you can apply? Um, when I asked that for you, you just said understanding how to use the deer bundle license and that that was quite a topic. So you want to jump in? Should, should we just knock that one out and talk about that deer <laughs> bundle and get, it, yeah. get that one done and then move on? It-
1: it's yeah, and and you could probably have a whole podcast just on this specific regulation, but I'm gonna try to give you the Cliffs Notes version. So the firearms uh or the deer bundle license is a license that allows a hunter to have an antler deer and two antlerless, or they can take three antlerless deer. And that bundle applies to all seasons. But the important thing to remember with that bundle, if if that's the route that you go, you have to pay special occlo- or special attention to your bag limits, because you're entitled to a certain amount of deer that are a certain sex with a certain piece of equipment. So checking the the regs is is I think that utmost importance if you're going to buy a bundle license, just to make sure that when you check that animal in, that uh, you check it under the the right Sex, so it can be a doe, it can be a buck, or it can be an antler, a bonus antlerless deer, and it's really confusing. Um, and you know, we can talk in circles about it, which I do just about every time I bring this up. Oddly enough, um, but knowing what season you're hunting in and knowing the bag limit for that season, because all the bag limits apply whether you have a bundle or not. You have to follow those bag limits. And I think a lot of mistakes that people make is when they check their animals in they either check them in incorrectly, or they don't realize that they're limited to what they can take, like early archery season. It starts in October uh, prior to firearms. There's only certain deer that they can take with that archery equipment. Just because they have the three tags doesn't mean they get to spend the three tags during archery season. Uh, Their season will have to extend into firearms or muzzleloader in order for them to fill all three tags.
0: Can you give me an example of what that looks like? Sure.
1: So like during archery season, for example, um, it starts October 1st. If someone buys a bundle, um, remember with that bundle, you get I'm just for all intents and purposes to make it simple. I'm going to call them a buck and a doe because that's what the verbiage most people use. So during archery season, they would either get two does or they would get a buck and a doe that's that's your options that's all you get during uh archery with archery equipment so if they take um if they take their buck during archery season they're done they can't have another buck because in indiana it's a one buck state so uh, the only other option to that is if you're hunting a reduction zone which kind of has different rules you have to earn a buck there but um if you go into firearm season, for, for example, firearm season traditionally in Indiana is a buck season. So you can only use a firearm on an antler deer. But if you have the bundle, that kind of opens up that uh, season for you to take an antlerless deer. The thing is, when you tag it, you have to tag it as such you have to t- you don't tag it as a doe because in the drop down menu we have you know you can do a buck you can do a doe or you can do a bonus antlerless and i think even even in the check-ins uh portal it's even listed as antlered antlerless and bonus antlerless but uh, to make it easy <clears throat> i'll say bone or doe and buck but if you take that antlerless deer during firearms it will always need to be checked in as a bonus antlerless deer because by law during firearm season, you're not able to actually take a doe okay. for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and okay. It's very confusing. That's why I think anybody that hunts in Indiana, residents, non-residents, it doesn't matter. Always, always, always check the regulations for your bag limits, especially if you're going to use the the deer bundle license, because it can get very confusing very quickly.
0: Okay it sounds a little bit confusing and so (laughs) so you guys you can't see cindy's face but (laughs) there's a lot of eye rolling going on um it it does sound a little bit confusing i'm i'm certain that the regulation is written in a way that explains it and then um, i think you were telling me that there's there's a chart that you need to refer to so that you know exactly what those bag limits are and how you need to tag those animals in each particular season
1: yeah, so when the hunting guide comes out, the new hunting guide will be out, I think it comes out like mid to late July, maybe even early August. When that comes out, there's actually a page in the hunting guide that lists the bonus antler list deer quotas for each county, because every county in the state has a quota listed, which is the the number of bonus antler list deer that you can take in that county. Some counties you can take three, other most counties you can take two, there's a few with one, And then Fayette and Franklin County, um, those two counties are in the southeastern part of the state. They got hit really hard by EHD last year, and their deer population was pretty well wiped out. So those two counties have a zero, which um, is important to know because under no circumstances can they take antlerless deer in that county during firearm season. Now, they're still allowed to during archery, right? And they can still take that, that one doe during muzzleloader season. But for firearm season, uh, which seems to be, you know, when the biggest bulk of the resident hunters sure. are in the field, sure. um, in those two counties, you cannot take a doe during that season. And that goes for for youth also with a firearm. So when we have our youth season in those two counties, uh, they cannot take a doe with a firearm either. So, But that map is super critical to know, what you can take during firearms, if you have that, that uh, bundle license, it also lets you know that if there's additional deer that you can take in your county, it's listed. The numbers are all there. It's color-coded. Um, but that's kind of the most important part to look at, regardless of whether you're using a bundle or not. But if you're using a bundle, definitely check it out because it can get confusing. The bag limits will be listed right underneath that map that has that information on it.
0: Yeah, Okay. So, read that regulation ahead of time. And then, as I always recommend, when you go to buy that over the counter, you go to buy your license, pick up one of those paper copies. Usually, there's a pile of those things sitting right there at the counter, wherever you buy it, pick it up. And if anything, when you're bored as heck sitting in that tree stand, you got something to read when your phone goes dead, right? <laughs> you might as well read yeah, the regulation know, when you can't you know, watch TikTok anymore.
1: And, yeah. And, you know, even as somebody, that granted I've only worked for the state for a year, but I've been hiring for 10 years. I have to look at the regulations all the time because there's just so much information in there and you think, you know, and then you go back and you're going to catch stuff that you don't, that you don't realize you've missed in the past. So
0: Definitely. Um so one good thing about a lot of the eastern states and I mean we'll focus on Indiana now of course is that there's the way that the seasons overlap are are much different than western state seasons like we we may have a week in September and then the next season opens up for 5 days in October Indiana's different in a way that archery season is open from October 1st to January 7th you said earlier and then there's a firearm season plopped right in the middle of that can an archery hunter hunt with their bow during that firearm season
1: sure you can hunt with archery equipment the entire time whether it's firearm muzzleloader it doesn't matter Um, as long as you adhere to the bag limit that's associated with that piece of equipment then you're good to go Um, the biggest thing is you know a lot of times people don't think because if they're hardcore archery hunters if they hunt during the early archery season which is prior to firearms, you don't have to wear a hunter orange, but as soon as firearm season kicks up, then if you're, even if you're out archery hunting, you have to have that hunter orange on. If you're hunting out of a blind, the blind has to have so many cubic inches of hunter orange on it. So yeah, you can, you can archery hunt the entire length of the full deer season, but just remember to adhere to the regulations as far as your hunter orange and whatnot, depending on when you're out in the the woods.
0: Okay. Yep. Great. Great point. Um, okay. So we had some season dates and stuff listed here. I I'm going to refer to the regulation on that when people want to look them up, um, just cause those kind of things change every year. So every year, or next year, right. When somebody wants to go back and listen to this podcast, I don't want to give them the wrong dates. Sure. Uh, refer to the regs and look up those dates. And if it's archery white tail that you want to hunt, which I highly recommend in Indiana, um, look up those dates, right? Um, And you'll, they'll, they'll be listed in there for sure. One quick question before we move on, what do you consider to be the, why do, why would a non-resident want to come to Indiana? What's the species?
1: I mean, honestly, deer and turkey, um, you know, they seem to be obviously the most popular. I mean, a lot of people, even new hunters fall into deer season. It seems like quicker than they fall in the small game. Like in the old days, a lot of people would cut their teeth on small game, whether it be rabbit or squirrel or whatever, mm-hmm. but it seems like with social media and the, the hunting industry itself, it's really pushed people into kind of going, going big first. Yeah. Um, well, squirrels
0: do- don't have big enough antlers. They don't, it's but okay. I'll
1: tell you what, I, I don't know. I think I'd pick squirrel hot or almost any other species. I'm kind, it of, good. It I'm really kind
0: good.
1: of, I'm kind of on that squirrel bandwagon, but yeah, deer and Turkey obviously are going to be the two that are going to draw the most people. I think deer probably specifically, Indiana's kind of gotten a reputation over the last couple of years of having a lot of big bucks. I mean, if you're into that, I'm not so much into that. I'd, it doesn't matter to me either way, but I know there's a lot of people that, you know, they want to go after that trophy animal and in Indiana has uh, several Boone and Crockett injuries, especially, well, with the huffbuck that was killed uh, last two years ago. Uh, that made a name for Indiana being one mm-hmm. of the largest, you know, whitetails to be taken out of the lower 48. So it's it's got a reputation for big deer. The, the tricky part about that is finding a place to hunt because a lot of those deer are on private land and if you know indiana at all you know that there's not a lot of public here we've got i think less than or just at three percent or less than so
0: i didn't know it was that low
1: it's uh it's tricky i mean there's big big deer here. there are but you've you've got to get lucky and get into the places where they're at
0: yeah so we're kind of headed down that road let's get into that and then we'll come back to the licensing requirements and that type of stuff because i think we're already kind of transitioned into where can people hunt um Man, I didn't know it was three percent. I thought it's it was low. More it's
1: it. it's it might be between three and four. I'd have to look for sure, but it's not a lot. I no. mean,
0: well, I remember when I was a kid, there was never walk in and and hunt something. It was you know, my dad was out knocking doors, and I mean, we didn't really have to knock doors. We knew a lot of farmers and people that had woodland and stuff around the house, but um, it was always private. You always had to get that permission every year, and and it was it was always an issue. So.
1: Yeah. And there are opportunities as far as private land. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be knocking on doors. It's going to be probably relatives or a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, there is the opportunity for, you know, there's a lot of leasing that takes place in Indiana. Um, those are expensive and they're hard to come by because they're just. They're taken already. And and very rarely do people give that up. Um, Once they get a good lease property, they they're not going to come off of it unless they're forced to. So I think the best option for people, uh, non-residents, if they don't know anybody here, there are plenty of opportunities. You've got the Hoosier National Forest down in southern Indiana is obviously uh, a popular place for public land. There's some state forests that people can hunt. Uh, Again, always, you know, look these properties up and make sure you know what they allow and what they don't. There's a lot of uh, fish and wildlife areas which are run by DNR. Those properties vary. There's a couple that have a draw for deer season where they pick um, a couple different dates during the beginning of deer season that you have to draw for. Once that draw is complete, then it opens up to to anybody to walk in. Same for turkey. Some of the properties are draw waterfowl the same way. Um, so you just really have to kind of get an idea of what part of the state you're going into and then look for those fish and wildlife properties. There's a map on our website that you can go to that there's green dots all over the state. And when you hover over a green dot or click on it, it'll open up, it'll provide a link that will let you go to that property and see what their regulations are, or if they have a draw or how long the draw lasts and when it opens up for just the general public to walk in and hunt. So there are there are definitely opportunities. It's just it's going to take some work and and finding the you know the properties that have the space and uh, have the amount of acres that you're looking for. But they're there. It's just not like me driving out to Montana and feeling like I have the world to myself. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's not often like that. Times here. you
0: do right? It, yeah, it, I mean, could have a whole mountain to yourself sometimes. Yeah. What? How does that draw system work? Or well, let me ask this first. Is that draw system open to non-resident?
1: Yes. Yep, it sure is. The stipulation with the draw, for the reserve draw hunts that we do have, um, as long as they purchase a license for the species that they're hunting. So you have to purchase a license prior to registering for the draw. Um, There aren't any refunds. You don't get your money back for the license if you don't draw you still have your license. You can come here and hunt public land. It's like Hoosier national or the uh, mm-hmm. state forest, but you just wouldn't be able to go to that property that you put in for until that draw season is over.
0: Gotcha. But, okay. Yeah. It's,
1: and you know, honestly i there's some state park reduction uh, hunts I've put in for, and generally there's an early hunt, a late hunt, and there's about a hundred, I want to say about 150 people that get picked for, For the early one and the late one and you get to take a buddy um big oaks uh wildlife refuge is another one they require you to take a buddy so actually if you get drawn for some of these hunts you can take somebody with you and they get a hunt also oh wow which is kind of nice yeah i mean it's it's kind of a perk uh for those for those hunts and a lot of that is because they want you to have somebody to help you get the animal out because generally Mm. the properties don't help with that. If you get something down, it's fully your responsibility. There won't be anybody there to come and assist you. So they offer that buddy system so that you have a partner that can help you get a deer out.
0: Gotcha. Um, what about outfitted hunts? Any type of high fence type operations, that type of I stuff think, that's going on out
1: there? Yeah, there are a few uh, high fence properties. I I know they're here. I don't know what they are, but if that's your thing, there there are some. Far uh, when i say
0: uh, so let me when i say a uh, high fence operation you i think you know what i'm talking about but i want to clear it for the for the listener those are usually that's the type of stuff where you you call the place up and you say i want to go hunt a trophy class white tail deer and they have it on a two acre ranch and they have it fenced in and it can't get away you're basically shooting a fish in a barrel sort of speak um but, okay, just wanted to make sure I had that. Yeah,
1: we, and we do. We do have a, a few of those. Um, but we also have, there's a there are a lot of outfitters in Indiana, more than I realized. And that's just a simple measure. Just Google, in, you know, Indiana deer hunting outfitters and you get a whole list of them that you could choose from. But there are some in the state for sure.
0: Okay. If somebody wanted to use one of those outfitters and hunt, they still need to come in and buy the license and all the appropriate, um, stuff. We're going to cover all that here in just a minute. Yeah.
1: And I imagine that the outfitters would probably help them get their license, but yeah, they do have to have, they do have to have a license. Yeah.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Uh, public land hunting. We already touched on that a little bit. There's not a ton. So most of these licenses that we're going to talk about can be purchased over the counter at Walmart or, um, Man, I had to look this one up the other day. Beautiful Buds in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Buds Do you Bait Shop. <laughs> Beautiful <Yep. laughs> Buds Bait Shop. So I can remember. Okay, um, I wanted to talk. We're getting to licensing stuff. But so the check-in process is different than what I remember it being. So when I was a kid and we shot deer or whatever, throw it in the back of dad's pickup truck right and we would always take it to town and we would take it to beautiful buds bait shop and they had a scale (laughs) and you know a covered scale um you'd hang your deer you'd weigh it and then you would check it in that way and you'd go in and you'd check it in at beautiful buds and from there who knows i'm assuming they would report to the state to indiana dnr the numbers that they received. that's not how it works anymore right there's a different check-in process yeah
1: they're they're Might be is still a few mom and pop check-in stations that you can go to where you can actually check it in in person. But the majority of the people actually now it's all automated. They get on their phone. They check it in before they even drag the deer out of the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have uh, a time frame after you uh, take the deer. I think I want to say it's 48 hours uh, to check that deer in you can also call 1-800 number if you don't want to do it on the computer or on your phone there's a 1-800 number you can do it as well um, and I think I you know most of the check-in stations like we had one uh, down the road here it was uh, gosh I can't think of the name of that place closed up too but that was the big thing you know back then you would take your deer in and everybody'd come out and they'd look at it. Oh yeah. They they want the story and you can, you know, they put the little metal clip on it and it was a, It was a big deal. And that, unfortunately, that's kind of went by the wayside just for convenience purposes. Sure. But man, it but was yeah, good, though.
0: You could, oh, I, I remember too. We always used to grocery shop. There's a grocery store across the street there. And we would grocery stop. Man, my dad used to rubberneck that place. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. going on over there? Beautiful yep. buds, right? And yep. he'd drive but, by sometimes, go out of the way to drive by beautiful buds just to buds. see. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: that was, that was where you went to see. You know, even as a non hunting family, when I was a kid, that's you always drove by there in the fall and there were deer hanging yeah, there. And that was always.
0: just,
1: you know, that yeah. was the place to be. But now it's, memory.
0: That's a good one. Yeah.
1: It's mostly online. I mean, it's just out of convenience, like I said. Okay. Um, but well, most, too people, bad. most people will try to check the deer before they leave the field. But again, I usually wait till I get home, get it hung up in the garage, and then I'll go in and, and check it just to make sure my hands are thawed out. I'm not fat fingering anything because. Right. Once you, once you submit that check-in, um, and there's, it's kind of a, I want to say it's fail-safe, but I was talking to our licensing specialist, Lene, and she was telling me that she, you wouldn't believe how many phone calls she gets of people that are calling for corrections because their hands were numb when they were out in the field and they hit the wrong button and hit submit and it wasn't right. Or we've even had uh, people call in and say, well, you know, I thought I shot um, a buck and then when I found it, it was a doe, but they'd already checked it in before they even found it. So the biggest piece of advice I can give, find your deer, locate your deer, make sure you understand what it is. I would even suggest drag it out, take it home and then check it in when you get home, when you can get in the house, get warmed up, get your hands working again. So you don't have to call and ask for corrections because it's a very difficult thing for her to go back into the system and find that hunter's specific information and then go back in and change the whole check-in form. So uh, as long as you put that in, and I should add, and I don't know if we were going to get to this next, but the transportation tag, um, if you don't, if you don't tag the deer right there standing next to it in the field, you have to put a transportation tag on it. And basically that's your basic information uh, on a piece of paper. You don't even have to put it on the deer when you drag it out because more likely it's going to get ripped off anyway, fill out all the information. So basically, let's see, you got to have your name, the day, the month uh, that you killed the deer, the sex of the deer, your address, your license number. If you've got it there handy, Uh, write that on there too. Shove it in your pocket, get the deer out. As long as you don't lose visual sight of the deer, uh, like if you're hopping in one truck and your deer's going in somebody else's truck, then the tag has to be on the deer. <laughs> Excuse me, but if if you've got visual contact or it's in your vehicle with you, you can just keep the t- the transportation tag in your pocket. They basically just want to make sure it stays with the person who shot the deer and the deer and the person stay together.
0: If if a person too. was to put it on the animal, how do they fix it to the animal? Is it and around or do, it sounds like it doesn't really matter as long as it's there. Most people will take
1: like electrical tape and just tape it around the leg, or if it's a buck, they'll tape it around the antler.
0: Okay, that's that's how you do it for Instagram. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I think we're good there. Let's talk about the important licensing and license requirements for non-residents. So we'll go back up a little bit there. And um, what do I need if I'm coming from New Mexico and I'm going back to hunt with my good buddy Neil in Indiana? What do I need as a non-resident to be legal in Indiana?
1: So you're going to need when you go to purchase your license, if you're going to do it online, basically you have to uh, develop an account on Access Indiana, which is going to require you to put your driver's license number in, all your pertinent information as far as your age, your height, uh, sex, um, address, phone number, all that good stuff that you would normally put in when you're starting an account with really anything these days. And then essentially you're just going to need the applicable license. I mean, you're going to license your, if you have to get a HIP number, you need to fill that out, but you do all that in that portal. So once you create your profile, then you're going to go into the menu where you can buy licenses and it's all laid out. So if you say you're going to go turkey hunting, you need to get a wild bird habitat stamp. You make sure that you buy those together. Um, I don't know. I don't think that it prompts you. I know in some states that it will prompt you and it will not let you proceed unless you have the licenses that go together, like have your stamp to go with your turkey license. Our system doesn't do that right now but we're getting ready to, uh, change our customer management system. And in the future, that's going to be an option for us so that you can't mess that up and actually forget to get something, uh, that you actually need to hunt that specific species. So like waterfowl, you need a state, uh, stamp, you need a federal stamp, and then you need your, uh, hunting license, your general hunting license. Okay. So it's just, it's just a matter of kind of going through and, and clicking all the boxes. And there's, there will tell you that you there's certain things that you need for certain species. It just won't let you, it's not going to stop you from proceeding and paying if you forgot something. We're not there yet, but we're getting okay. there.
0: Do, uh, is that the only place to get it? Or can I stop at buds and and pick up a license or go to Walmart and pick up a license too? I think
1: uh, we just talked about this today to me. So Walmart, Meijer, um, your mom and pop bait shops are selling hunting and fishing licenses dick sporting goods selling hunting and fishing licenses so you can get them in person for sure
0: yep okay hunter education is it mandatory for indiana
1: it is uh if you're born after december 31st 1986 you have to have hunter ed uh you can hunt on an apprentice license um for 3 years and then after that third year you have to take hunter ed or you will not be allowed to buy a license in the system
0: okay uh, does any state qualify you? So will my New Mexico hunter safety be good? Yes. Okay. And, and then is that, I guess it would be submitted on that portal. It's, or is it just required that I have the certificate with me while I'm hunting?
1: No, there's actually a box that you fill your number in. So if you have hunter education, say you did it 20 years ago, you need to find, locate that number because mm-hmm. you have to have that number filled in before it'll let you proceed to buy a license.
0: Okay. Yeah, I've had to retake it like three times because I lose the number and then I can't redo it. So, so then I've I've taken it through enough that it's frustrating me. Um, okay, so any state works. You just need that that number available, and then I would think if you're stopping at Walmart on your way into Indiana, you would need that as well.
1: Yeah, because they'll ask for it. They're gonna ask yeah. for it. Okay. Yeah. So it's or they best ask. to just they carry a copy. Should yeah. ask for it, quote unquote. <laughs>
0: I, it's I always keep a copy in a ziploc bag in the back of my binocular harness. so yeah. anytime I'm going hunting I, I don't really care if I'm supposed to carry it or not. I have it because yep yeah and well a, I do that another, now now that I've lost it like three times I've, I do that now
1: and another you know thing that I guess the youngsters are doing they take pictures of every well I shouldn't say that because I do it too because I lose things often but I take yeah. pictures of everything so my hunter ed card, my license you can use for Indiana you can use um, a digital copy. Of your license. So if you don't have the paper copy on you, you can pull your phone out and pull your license up on your phone and it will Oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
0: Um okay. We talked about mandatory reporting and check-in. So it is mandatory. You said there's a duration um 48 hours, you think yes. Yep. Yeah. You gotta have
1: it okay. checked in by then.
0: Okay. And we've talked about transportation and how to properly tag animals. Blaze orange was required during hunting season. You mentioned that. Yep. Or during uh, rifle season, not during
1: rifle, and then like um, the squirrel season and rabbit season overlap into firearm season, and there is also a turkey season that um, in some counties that overlap into firearm season for deer. And you have to, if you're hunting those species, even if you're not deer hunting, you still have to have orange on if you're out during firearm season for deer.
0: Okay. A couple more things, and then we'll wrap it up here. I'm kind of curious. The most common violations that you see or that are seen in the field, were you able to touch base with any of the game wardens and to yeah to
1: so I talked to uh, Terry Hyman. He's an officer with DNR. He's actually the uh, liaison for the Turn in a Poacher Board for Indiana. He said that um the biggest issues that they run into are people relying on as far as non-residents the biggest issue are property lines and property boundaries and using um, apps to be the end-all be-all of where they're located he said that they're not defined enough to be legally accurate Uh, they'll get you pretty close but Mm -hmm. he said he recommended for everybody to check with landowners to make sure they're not crossing over the property line make sure you know that there's a defined what your defined area is that you can hunt in. So you're not crossing over into somebody else's property to hunt. And that yeah. goes for retrieving animals. If, you know, deer runs across fence line, you need to make sure that you know you're going on somebody else's property and get permission um, to go retrieve that animal. But that was the biggest one.
0: Yeah, He said for,
1: for non-residents, there weren't really a lot of violations. And I think that's, you know, I, I know I can speak for myself when I go into another state, I am, like tearing their regulations down to the yeah. nitty gritty. Cause I don't want to go into another state and have a violation. So right. I think people are just extra careful.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's probably a good point. Um, best opportunities for non-resident hunters. What do you, is what do you think is a good opportunity? I know it's kind of rough out there and there's very little public land, um, but if there is opportunity, what's the best opportunities?
1: I think honestly, it's just do your, um, do your e-scouting the best you can. I think, your public land opportunities are going to be the, I want to say your easiest. Now I'm not going to say it's not going to be crowded because there are a lot of hunters in Indiana and there's not as much public land as we wish that there there was. But I think um, doing your e-scouting, kind of figure out where you have that you can stay and hunt relatively close to where you're staying, whether that's camping at a campground, or if you're going to get a hotel or whatever. The draws, I mean, I don't think that there's um, really a benefit to a resident versus non-resident on the reserve draw. I think it's a pretty even shot across across the uh, line. So I don't, I can't say that there's a super beneficial place to send non-resident hunters. I think it's in Indiana, <coughs> excuse me, in Indiana, I think that it's pretty fair across the board. It's just finding that location that you're not overrun with other hunters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, from my experience, I know it was a long time ago, but it's just know somebody, right. So either through social media or some way, if you're really wanting to hunt in Indiana, then friend somebody and start to build a network. Right. And eventually maybe you get invited to go on that Indiana hunt and get to chase a big Indiana buck. That's, that's probably your best way of, of getting out there. I would think. I would
1: agree. I think I think the best hunting that I've found in other States across the country is just through people that I know that I've become friends with on social media. And I mean, social media is a blessing and a curse, but in the hunting space, I think it can, it can be more of a blessing because you know, you make friendships with people and you see where they're hunting and you talk to them and and nine times out of 10, they're going to be like as helpful as you could hope for. And they'll invite you out. I mean, I've invited people, I've always said that I have an open invitation. Anybody wants to come squirrel hunt with me in January, that I don't care who you are, you come squirrel hunting with me. I'm going to take you. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think making those relationships is is very important. And you know, reach out to the biolog- biologists. Get a hold of DNR. Talk to the wildlife biologists. They're going to help you kind of figure out where you have more deer population, and they can send you in a in a good direction. They're not going to guarantee anything, but they can definitely give you the information so you kind of know what area to go to. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't think to do because they don't know that that's something that's accessible to them. But yeah, I think uh, wildlife biologists are always willing to help people uh, find greater success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's their job, right? That's that's what they're paid for. Sure. Um, We had some, you had outlined the weapons requirements and stuff. And with that one, I'm going to refer people to the regulation because those get See, there, I mean there's a lot to it, and I'm just gonna refer people to it. I am glad to see that you can use rifles now. When I was a kid, you weren't allowed to use a rifle. <clears throat> Everything no, was shotgun. No. And yep. that changed I can't, it changed several years ago, but um it, I remember when my dad told me that they had changed it, and I was like, wow, that's a that's a huge yeah. change.
1: and it's and it's it's only on private land that you can use the high powered yeah. rifles. It's still public land, it's still your um like like I like to hunt. A 44 mag. I have a lever action 44 mag, and that's mm-hmm. generally if I'm going to go on public land, that's what I'm going to take. But on private land, if it's private, yeah, I mean your 243s, your 270s, yeah. your 65s, I mean all those. But definitely check the regulations because, again, it's another. It's kind of like it's kind of like that deer bundle. It can get confusing if you don't go in there and really dig into it.
0: Right. Right. Um, the last thing I think we'll touch on is state resources available. Do you guys have Instagram, YouTube, uh, places where people can reach out and find additional information if they're looking for something else?
1: We do. I I think the very first place I would send anybody is to the Indiana DNR website, the Division of Fish and Wildlife. That's going to be where to hunt, it's going to be your reserve uh, draws your licenses, your seasons, your bag limits, your uh, bonus antlerless quotas, all of that pertinent information for hunting um, and fishing. I don't want to leave fishing out of this because uh, a lot of people do enjoy coming for the the crappie and the bluegill and oh yeah, doing the stream fishing, the smallmouth and Sugar Creek is as popular as it ever was. Um, so I don't want to leave fishing out, but yeah, if you go to our DNR website, all that information's there. We also have a Facebook page for Fish and Wildlife. We have an Instagram page for Fish and Wildlife. Uh, Basically, you can search those and find them pretty easily. But we're always putting information up. There's also a Fish and Wildlife calendar um, on the DNR page that has, if there's any kind of learn-to events, whether it's fishing, hunting, trapping, all that stuff's generally on those calendars, too, for people that are just getting into the outdoors for the first time.
0: Awesome. I remember those crappie and bluegill fish fries.
1: Tell you what, I don't think you can be
0: no darlington american legion (laughs) they used to have one every year and we would go every year and i would eat more fish than i could think about eating um was there anything we missed today that you think is important that we that we need to put out or do we cover it all
1: i don't think so i think you know the most important thing because and i'm i'm gonna get up on my pulpit a little bit because i am on the indiana turn in a poacher board The regulations are just so important. I mean, knowing what you're doing, making sure that you've crossed those T's and dotted those I's, make sure you have your license, make sure if you're hunting waterfowl, you've got your stamps, your turkey, you've got your stamp, your hip number if you're hunting dove or whatever migratory bird. So just, it's really just important to take the time and read the, the regs, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into, do your research on where you're going to, make sure if you're going into a public land area, you know what's allowed on that space, because on fish and wildlife areas, um, you know, different areas have different species that you can hunt. They don't you it's not a catch all for all of them. They have specific species that you're allowed to hunt. And I'd hate for somebody to walk in someplace and shoot something and that you're not even allowed to hunt on that specific property. So yeah, just just definitely dig into the regs.
0: Does Indiana have an elk herd? Uh no. that's a side note. No, no, none at all.
1: Kinda kinda wishing we did. Kentucky. Kentucky's. Close. Well, that's what
0: I was wondering. Kentucky and then yeah. no, there's some um, up north too. So I was curious if they had made it to the middle mm, yet. But no, yeah.
1: we we're pretty pretty much, you know, deer, turkey. We had a bear wander in. We have a bear wander in and wander out once in a while. Um, doesn't stick around too long, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, elk would be wonderful. I I've still yet to uh go on a serious elk hunt so if we had them here boy it sure would make travel less expensive but <laughs>
0: you know even if you do get well, them they- it's going to be years before there would ever even be oh, a license because yeah. that yeah. you know that yeah. numbers just aren't there but we just
1: we just don't have the i just don't think we have the right habitat uh especially with all the farm ground we have that would just yeah. get destroyed and it just wouldn't it's not a state that it would go over well
0: yeah yeah awesome well cindy thank you very very much this was cool to catch up first and foremost. And then outside of that, it was great to talk about Indiana and, and talk about the regulations and, and help some non-residents maybe come out there and hunt someday. Um, really appreciate it.
1: Well, if you make it back in January, you've got a squirrel hunting person you can go with. So,
0: well, maybe <laughs> I'll be chasing mule deer in New Mexico in January. So that's, that's oh well. Be uh, tough. Won't we
1: rub? Won't we rub that in a little? bit? Yeah, I have to a little bit.
0: <laughs> I, I have to a little bit. But I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the resources. Um Are you on uh, any social medias out there, or do you not get like to get followed? Or if you do, you can shout out.
1: No, I I'm on social media. I'm other Cindy Lou on Instagram. Um i mean i'm on facebook but i'm primarily on instagram especially as far as the hunting space goes okay so yeah
0: there you go if you got questions you can reach out to indiana dnr page or you can you can hit up cindy on instagram or facebook or wherever but thank you very much i appreciate absolutely. it absolutely
1: thank you thank you for the invite
0: yeah you bet We just wrapped that up, and there was one topic that I really wanted to talk about with Cindy, and I totally forgot to ask. So as I move through the eastern states, one thing that I want to include is any uh, opportunities for military or military veterans in each state. The state of Indiana doesn't really have any special opportunity for non-resident active duty military or veterans but what they do have is you if you're an indiana resident and you are an active duty military person in any branch then you can always come home and hunt in indiana as a resident so if you're stationed anywhere in the world you can come back and you're guaranteed those resident prices and you there's some there's some extra benefits there for those indiana residents when they come home Again, nothing really special out there for if you're a non-resident, you travel into the state, there's no discounts on any of the tags or, or any of the licenses or anything. That benefit is to the active duty Indiana residents. So thank you for your service to all those that are out there serving. I apologize for not including that with Cindy when we were talking about it. But it's something that her and I had talked about ahead of time, and I had that information just totally, totally glassed over it. So I had included it here at the end what a fun show I it was so cool to be able to reconnect with Cindy before the show and even after we got done recording we talked a lot about the the good old days back in high school in Indiana and then we had the opportunity to kind of catch up with each other too and what we're doing now and how we got involved in the hunting industry and, and just kind of a little bit of everything so it was super cool to have Cindy on always cool to talk about hunting always cool to talk about Indiana Um, Through that show, it it sounds to me like there's not a whole ton of opportunity for non-residents there unless you know somebody in Indiana that has access to private. There are some public land opportunities that you might want to take a look at. Like we talked about in that show, they're all listed in the DNR uh, regulation, so check those out. It is a great state. They do have big bucks in Indiana. I, I think there's opportunity there. You just need to know somebody or do the research to find it. So hopefully this podcast helped somebody out there either decide to go or decide not to go to Indiana, whatever. However, it helped you. I hope I hope you got a better understanding of it. So thanks for listening. Uh, leave a review if you like this show. I really appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts. I like uh, five-star reviews. And then write something up that you liked about this show. That'd be great. Uh, some of the other outlets like like uh, Spotify, you can't leave a review, but you can leave five stars. So would really appreciate that. It really helps the content. And don't forget Altera Arms and Kodiak Canvas are the two fantastic sponsors for this podcast.